Thank you. You restoreth my voice. <laughs> Blessed be the name of Tom Willis. Good heavens. All kinds of scary things. As you know, we are proceeding through a study of First Peter in our worship services this, these coming months. And last Sunday, we just, be, we just began. If you would open up to the book of First Peter, you will notice that after Peter de describes the people to whom he is writing this letter, he gives them a prescription for endurance. A prescription for endurance. Now, beginning with the third verse, let's read. And this is from the New American Standard, and I, even though I'll be using some King James words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. I want you to see three basic parts to this scripture reading. First of all, I want you to see, I can, I can never remember where the light is here. I want you to see how he begins. He begins with praise, just as we began in the service this morning, and we will end with praise in the service this morning. Because praise is the first of any prescription for endurance. It gives you perspective, and it lets you come out where you want to come out. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, he who chooses the beginning of a road also chooses its end. And if you want to come out of this life praising God, you had better begin by praising God because that is your destiny, this should be your beginning. So he begins by saying, glory be to God. Now remember that. If you want to end your day saying glory be to God, most likely you need to begin your day by saying glory be to God. Secondly, I want you to see that he talks about the spiritual wealth that we have stored up for us. Remember when Jesus talked about laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven? Well, these are a few of the treasures in heaven that we have. First of all, we are born again too, and by the way, I think nobody should use the phrase, I am a born-again Christian without having to put the end on that. Saying born-again Christian is like a label that you don't have to think about. And that's a very dangerous thing for a Christian. If you say, I am born again, you ought to be able to name what you're born again to, like Peter does here. So he says, 
we are born again too. And then he starts listing them. First of all, and this is the reason I use this translation, we are born again, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope. Now, some of your versions say a lively hope, and some of them don't, don't, don't come out quite clearly, but I, this is a clear translation to me. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Most of us in this world, when we hope, hope for things that are immovable. We hope we can accomplish such and such someday. We hope we can get to be such and such someday. And you see what that does is that it creates a ladder that we have to climb and if we give enough effort to it, maybe we will get there. That is an immovable hope. But that's not what the scriptures say that we have. The scriptures say that we have a living hope. One that can respond to us. That's a very very different thing that we most most of us think about when we think about hope. I hope someday. Well, hope in the Bible comes toward us. Resurrection comes toward us. When, when I was a uh, senior in high school, we had a celebration at Lake Erie, and a lot of our senior class went up and rented cabins at the same place and had a party that weekend, and the boys had a, you know, a couple cabins, and the girls had a couple cabins, and it was fun. And during that time... Lake Erie was about 80 miles away from where I lived. During that time, um, I was really sweet on this one girl. And I really liked to spend time with her. And boy, it was a great weekend because we, you know, go along and be, this is, she never held a candle to you, dear. Never even, <laughs> never held a candle to my wife. But, and this is before I knew what perfection was, so I settled for whatever was there. <laughs> But this girl, see, was just, I just was really sweet on this girl. And in the middle of Sunday afternoon, it was time for the guys to go home. And I didn't want to go home. Boy, it was a sunny day and the water was going. And, and Butch Wilcox drove our car and he said, Hunter, come on, we got to go home. And I said, uh, well, I don't want to go home. He said, well, we got to go home. And so I did what was really dumb. I said, you go ahead and go. I'll try to find some other way because the girls were going to go back the next day. Now, I didn't know anybody around Lake Erie, and there was no way that I was going to get home from there. But I didn't care. I just wanted to spend the afternoon with this girl. So I did. I spent the afternoon with this girl on a pier, dangling our feet in the water, and then the sun started to go down, and my blood pressure started to go up. And I was thinking, how am I going to get home? I, if, if, see, I'm dead meat either way because my mother is going to say, even if I could hitchhike, and I could make it there. And I'd walk in the door, and my mother would say, Joel, how'd you get home? I couldn't lie, not because I had such high morality, but because my mother always could tell when I was lying. So I had to say, I would have to say, Mother, I hitchhiked home. And then my mother, who would make Dick the Bruiser look like a weenie, <laughs> would say, Joel, do you know what can happen to you when you hitchhike? And then she would proceed to show me what could happen to me. So I'm sitting on this pier with this girl dangling my feet in the water, sinking lower and lower in my spirit, saying, there is no hope for me. And then I hear the voice of Butch Wilcox behind me saying, Hunter, are you ready to go now? And I turn around and I say, Butch, you guys didn't go. He said, yes, we did. We went all the way home. 
got there, looked at each other, and said, Hunter's really going to get in trouble, so we came back for you. <laughs> yeah. See what, see what a difference is to have a living hope. And that's what the Bible is saying, that even when we have no resources within our own, we have someone who can respond even when we can't. We're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, go ahead. Look on, and it says, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, that's reserved in heaven for you. Now, I know it's difficult for us living in this world to, to imagine an inheritance that doesn't have anything taken away from it over, over a period of time. I, you all have been driving on the highways and you'll, every once you'll see a camper go by that with a bumper sticker that says, we are spending our children's inheritance. That kind of tickles me all the time and I think that's great. But our inheritance in this world can be spent. It can be diluted. It can be lost. And as for anything in this world not fading away, I've just never seen it because everything in this world fades away. We went this week and bought paint for our house. Guaranteed 10-year paint. Guaranteed to last 10 years. Guaranteed. Says it right on the can. It's called the weather beater. Now, isn't that pretty impressive? That's pretty impressive, I think. And I started putting it on my house yesterday, right before the torrential rains. <laughs> it did not last 10 years. It did not beat the weather. It was not unfaded. I haven't looked yet, but I bet I have the prettiest little line of beige grass around my house. See, it's hard for us to imagine anything that doesn't fade away. And sometimes we try to grab on and cling to those things that are going to fade away anyhow. But a couple years ago, I remember seeing a, a couple in a, in a shopping mall. They had to be 60 years old. And they were walking around in peg jeans, Beatles caps, love beads, trying to act like they were 17. And it was just kind of pitiful, you know? They were trying to hang on to something that was fading away. And you can't hang on to things that are fading away. That's just the way of the world. There's only one thing that does not fade away, and that's our inheritance in heaven. I heard a story once about, I didn't hear it, I read it. True story, historical uh, uh, vignette about Emperor Francis Joseph, who was one of the last emperors of the Holy Roman Empire. And when he died, they had a huge funeral procession through the streets of Vienna. And they came upon this gorgeous burial crypt. And the leader of the procession walked up to the door of the crypt and he knocked on the door. And a voice from within said, who is there? This was a really neat burial rite. And the leader of the procession said, Emperor Francis Joseph of the Holy Roman Empire. And the voice came out, I do not know him. The knock came again. Again the voice, who is there? Emperor of Austria, King of Hungary, Francis Joseph. 
And the voice from within said, I do not know him. A third time, the leader of the procession knocked. And the voice again came, who is there? And this time, the leader of the procession said, a poor sinner, a follower of Jesus Christ, our brother, Francis Joseph. And the door swung open. All of that to say, I don't care how big a cat you are in this world or how little a cat you are, you got nothing that won't fade except your inheritance in heaven. And that is kept for you undefiled. That's part of your treasure. Third, another part of your stored up heavenly treasures is, and here's the word protection. I like the King James where it says you are kept by God. We are kept by God. Now I want to just tell you a little bit more accurately uh, about, the, about what the word of God means. Remember when uh, Apollos went to Aquila and Priscilla and they, they told him a little bit more accurately what the word of God meant? I want you to turn to Job the first chapter, the 12th verse. And if you're here with your scriptures and you don't have those little tabs on your scripture, it might be good for you to get those because we'll be flipping back and forth to different scriptures. And those little tabs really help. Okay, this is the Lord dealing with Satan here. And this is what it says of the New American Standard. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has, he's talking about Job, is in your power. All that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. When the scripture says, And the Lord will keep you, the scripture does not promise about your possessions forever. He does not promise over anything you have, nor does he promise to keep you out of trouble. He says all that Job's, Job has is in your hand. Even his health, which is a possession, our, our, being attack, attacked bodily is not being attacked. We live in here. We are not this. You know that, don't you? So our health is simply another one of our possessions. Job had boils from head to foot. Satan laid his hands on the health of Job, but didn't lay his hand on Job. The Bible promises that we will suffer various trials. Uh, in uh, Isaiah 43, and you don't have to find that unless you want to, but in Isaiah 43 it says, but now says the Lord your God, your uh, creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. Now listen. When, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Not if, when. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched or burned. The Bible does not promise that that which we have will not be attacked from time to time. 
It just promises that we will not be burned. God will keep us. The 23rd Psalm, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the... Now be careful. What's the next word? Shadow of death. Did you ever think about that? A shadow cannot hurt you, can it? It can hide all that you have. It can make you feel alone. But a shadow cannot harm you. And so when God promises his protection, it is for you, not what you have. And God can hang on to you even when you can't hang on to him. When I was a little boy, I used to take walks down uh, the street with my mother and, and we had sidewalks. I, the, the addition I moved into has sidewalks. I just think that's so great. I haven't had sidewalks for a long time. And we'd go downtown, it was about a mile, and I'd hang on to my mother's hand. And we'd be skipping and, I'd be skipping and jumping and kicking cans. And this was before Lady Bird Johnson's cleanup. Kicking cans and, and kicking stones. And every once in a while I'd stumble and I'd grab onto her hand so I wouldn't go all the way down. And then I'd correct myself and we'd go on. And all the way downtown, I loved to hold my mother's hand. But there was one spot in Shelby, Ohio, that was kind of dangerous. It was the only busy intersection we had. And when we came up to that intersection, there was a change in the hand-holding status. I felt my mother's hand close around mine. All of a sudden, I wasn't holding her hand any longer. She was holding mine. As if to say, you do not know the danger here. You cannot be responsible Therefore, I will keep you. I will protect you. You know, there comes a time in your life that is so dangerous. And many, many times there are frequent times in your life when, there are, when, when it is so dangerous that you don't realize it. There might come such a traumatic trial, such a traumatic test of your faith that you give up your faith. You can't honestly, emotionally believe in God anymore. You can't keep yourself in his care because you have been so traumatized and so hurt and so disappointed that you cannot muster up anything in yourself anymore. Does that mean you've lost God? No, God is keeping you. When you can't keep yourself with God, God still keeps you. He has not given up on you, even during the times you've given up on him. That's a treasure you have in heaven. And I want you to remember that because he tells us more about endurance. First of all, he tells us by implication that we need to remember that when we're going through the trials. One of the, way we endure, one of the ways we endure trials is to remember what we've got waiting for us on the other end. That's the definition, by the way, of maturity, isn't it? That you can forsake something now to have something better later. Isn't that how you can tell how children are mature? 
that, that you don't, you know, the, the, the buck that you give them, they don't run out and spend on candy right away. They start accumulating what they have so that they can get something they really want later on. Well, Christians are no different. If you have this treasure in heaven, then God is going to see whether or not you're going to forsake something now in order to enjoy that later. You know, there's been a terrible lie told to us, the American public, by a commercialized society, by all of the commercials on TV, and the lie is you can have everything and you don't have to give up anything. That, folks, is a lie. You cannot have everything. You've got to make choices. You've got to prioritize. And if you want some things down the road, you've got to give up some things now. And Scripture is telling us that you can endure whatever you are going through right now if you realize what you've got waiting for you down the road, the treasures you have stored up in heaven. Secondly, it says... Oh, I've got to get back. I've got to get back. It says... In this you greatly have rejoiced, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. He's trying to give you some sort of time perspective there in saying what you have later on will last forever. Now it's just, just a moment. Even though it might last for years, still in eternity, it's just a moment. That the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, so on and so forth. Another way that we can get through the trials we have right here is to realize that every trial we have is a test of your character, that you are being purified, that God, now listen, is not just interested in the impartation of faith, he is interested in the development of faith. Let me say that again. God is not just interested in the impartation of faith. He is interested in the development of faith. Sometimes we think in, in, in terms of faith like, like it's a mount, you know? And, and when Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith, he wasn't just talking about a mount. He was talking about quality. What does your faith do for you? I want you to know that the word for various trials, the word for various is poikolos, which is the same word he uses in the fourth chapter, the 10th verse, describing graces. Here it's various, there it's multitude grace of God. And it means many colored. In other words, whatever trial you have, God has the same color grace for it. And God can get you through it for your development. How many people do you know that use their Christianity to escape something and never become more mature because they're Christians? God's not interested in that. God's not interested in making you a Houdini to get out of traps. He's interested in your strength and in your wisdom and in your accomplishment. He's interested in your maturity. Therefore, we're going through trials for a good reason so that we can learn God's grace in various situations. And one more story. And after this story, by the way, we're going to have a little sharing. It's, it's a neat thing to have a church like this where people are willing just to get up and say, you know, I wasn't really sure 
of God sticking with me through this situation. I had no earthly assurance, but I trusted God and I felt like he was with me through this certain trial that I went through. And I want you to think, we're just going to open it up for some of you who have been through that as kind of an opportunity to, to just get up and thank God for helping you through a trial, for helping you to endure because even when you couldn't believe, he was faithful, all right? So if there are any stories like that out there, we might, we might ask you to share that. Okay, the last thing of the prescription is for you to remember who waits on you. Who waits on you to give you credit? You know, <clears throat> I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but practically all of us do not accomplish for the sake of accomplishment. Most of us are accomplishing in order to please somebody. We either have a tape in our head that we're trying to please our parents from way on back, or we're trying to impress our husbands or wives, or we want to do it for our kids, for the image of our kids, or we want to do it uh, for a friend that we want to prove to them that we can do this and so on and so forth. When you look right, down right down into the center of human motivation, who you're pleasing is not standards, but people. Now I want you to see how he ends up with this. This is really great. After they go through the chest, he promises them praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. He's not talking about standards there. He's talking about love. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full glory. Who are you going to please in this life? One of the heavenly treasures is that you can actually please Jesus Christ and you can listen to him as you please him. When I was a little kid in grade school, and I hope I don't bore you with these little stories, but the more I remember out of my own stuff, the more I remember that you went through stuff just like I did. I think we all went to different schools together because your childhood is just like mine. So all I'm doing is kind of dredging up stories of yours. When I went to, to grade school, there was another girl. I was always falling in love. There's another girl, her name was Kathy Johnson. And Kathy Johnson was the most beautiful girl that you've ever seen at Auburn Elementary School. I mean, she had, oh, listen to this, those little blonde curls. Remember when the mothers used to do Tony permanents in the girl's hair? And they'd walk along those little curls and bounce up and down like that. Oh, yes, it was glorious. And she had those little skirts that went like that along with her curls. I don't know what they put underneath those things, what they call those petticoats or, or uh, fluff stuff or whatever they call it. But she'd walk along and her skirt would go like that too. And she had these little patent leather shoes, just little, little cute patent leather shoes, and she'd walk along like that. And she was glorious. And I loved her so bad. But I was so ugly. I mean, I had a burr haircut and freckles and my family was poor. We'll get into a kind of poor contest someday. So I, my clothes weren't very good. I had the corduroys, which weren't cool at the time. Now corduroys are cool, but they weren't then. They rubbed and they sounded back then. You walk along, remember that? Remember it? Yeah. See, and your shoe 
the sole would come off and it'd flat. So you go, whoop, flat, whoop, flat, whoop, flat. Happy, you sound like a one-man band going down, going down uh, the, the, uh, the hall. And I had to wear my sister's bobby socks. Remember bobby socks, the, the, the elastic? And by, this, by the time they got down to me, they were so washed out, they had no elastic. So every step I would take, you could feel the socks going down lower. And whenever I wanted to, to talk to anybody and keep my dignity, I'd, I'd pull up my socks. To this day, if I'm standing in front of somebody who is intimidating me, you'll see me go like this. <laughs> pull up my socks. It's an old habit. It's an old habit. And I loved Kathy Johnson so bad. And I knew that there was nothing I could do, really, to get her on my own accord. So I thought, well, maybe I can just impress her. And so one day when she was walking by the flagpole, I said, hey, Kathy, hey, Kathy, watch this, look at this. And I, oh, this is embarrassing to tell. I stood on my head right in front of her and my shirt came up to here and my corduroys came up to my knees and my sole of my shoe was flapping in the wind. The only right thing that happened is that my socks were finally where they ought to be. And Kathy, full of grace, said, Oh, Joel, that is very, very nice. And went off into the crowd before I could embarrass myself any further. Now, the reason I tell you that is to say that, you know, inside we hardly ever grow up. There's always somebody that we want to impress. To this day, to this day, when I'm making a talk to large audiences, a banquet or a convention or something like that. And my wife, because she's my Kathy Johnson now, is sitting in the front row. I have a little boy inside of me who's standing on my head and saying, Becky, look what I'm doing. Don't you love me now? But you know who I really want to impress? Jesus Christ. Someday, when I enter into glory, I can't wait until Jesus Christ is there throwing his arms around me saying, well done, good and faithful servant, and giving me praise and glory and honor. And you know, during the toughest times of my life, if I just think about Jesus doing that, I can get through them, and so can you. Now let's kind of shift gears into times when God was faithful, when we weren't sure that he was going to be. And remember some of those things in our lives that have been various trials. We got a couple who volunteered <laughs> after we said, would you share? Tom Willis was one of those. Tom, would you come up? Tom, Tom went through an ordeal lately, uh, not too long ago, with his mom in which God was very faithful. And uh, we just asked him if he'd share it with you. Six years is too long to be standing in front of you people. <clears throat> My mom is uh, presently recuperating from a triple bypass operation that she endured uh, it's been, almost, it's been a month, it was a month on Friday that she got out of the hospital, or that she went through the operation, excuse me. Uh, my mom and I are extremely close. My parents were divorced when I was 15. 
So my relationship with my mother was my mother and father. Strong relationship. She's overweight. She's on a five foot, four or five inch frame. And she weighs well over 225 or 30 pounds. She's, a, she's very overweight. I have been seeing her life decline for the last 10 years just because of her health. And um, over the last five or six years, I've really had a burden in my heart from my mother um, for her salvation, which I'm assured of now. But uh, for her health, I was going to lose her. I felt she was going to be going. And every time there was a crisis in her life, I said, that's it. I said to Marsha, that's it. She's going to be gone soon, and that's going to be the end of my family. <clears throat> Six weeks ago, she had her first heart attack. No big deal. It was just a heart attack. Well, to me, a heart attack <laughs> means my mom is going. She's gone. Five days after that, she had another heart attack. They couldn't get her to the point where she was stabilized enough to find out what she needed in her body. All of the earthly signs looked like this was it. I myself had talked myself into uh, funeral arrangements in my mind, things that you take care of when this situation comes up. And we've endured that in this body with other people, with other saints in this body. But when it's, when it's your mama or whatever, it's different. <clears throat> finally stabilized her, finally realized that what she needed was she had a totally in all of her incoming or outgoing vessels, whatever they are, she had maybe 10% of the blood that was coming in going out. So it was coming in fine, but it wasn't getting to the rest of her body. So she needed a triple bypass. Doctors said it's an extremely complicated operation, but we did 17,000 of them last year in Central Florida alone. That's reassuring, but it, you're, we're talking about my mom here. <laughs> we're talking about a woman who's overweight, whose health has been poor for a number of years. And I knew she was not going to make it. over and visit and during the time I worked a little bit and I saved up enough money to get a ticket home and to to travel a couple weeks and I had met a, a friend a girlfriend and we decided that we would meet each other at a certain time and in, in a railroad station in Munich Germany and my train was delayed and so when I got there about three hours later from the time I was supposed to be there, she wasn't there. I, you know, I got off the train thinking, you know, I wonder if she waited for me. And, and I searched all around for a familiar face, and she wasn't there. So I stood on the platform, and I saw a sign up there that says, Garmish, and that's where my father is from. And I thought, that's where I'm going to go. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to stand around here. I don't know the language, I don't, want, I don't know the people, I don't know the place I'm in. And so, you know, I stood there kind of talking to myself, and I got up on the steps of the train, but I didn't sit down on a seat. I walked through one car, walked through another car, and another, and I came down 
out of the train. And I said, okay, Lord, um, you are my God, and, and you can protect me through this little trip I want to take. There, I can't place my trust in a person, a friend, or a place, or even knowing the language, but I just, I just want to transfer my fear and my trust over to you. And this immediate peace came about me. So I went over to see, get a schedule for, I was going to go to Switzerland to spend a little time in uh, Le Brie, where Schaefer was. And, um, and I found the schedule that 8.30 in the morning there was a train to, to uh, Switzerland. So I got my bags and got out of the train station and walked across the street to find a place to stay and confident that God was, was protecting me. And, and that I could place my trust fully in, in him. A single girl, you know, just traveling for two weeks. And the trip was fantastic. I met um, some people on the way that helped me at different places that I went, and it couldn't have been better. And I'm just so glad I, I stood there for a few minutes to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to transfer <laughs> my trust on places and people to you, Lord, and, and you guide me. Amen. Thank you. The applause, by the way, for you newcomers is for God, not for the folks that are sharing.